Good morning. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That your way may be known on the earth. Your saving power among all the nations. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity. You guide the nations of the earth. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. He shall bless us. May all the earth hear his name. Amen. Psalm chapter 67, one of my favorites in the Bible. Welcome to ICC. We're so glad you're here. And uh, I'm Barrett, one of the pastors here. And we just are thankful you've chosen to worship with us uh, today and the start of this new year. Um, we, if you don't know, you can't tell by the, isn't this awesome? I'm like, I'd, I love it. <laughs> I love it. I kind of want to keep it up all the time. Anybody with me? I think it's like the coolest ever. Um, for those of you who are listening online, this is why you need to come to church, okay? So, yeah, you can't tell what I'm talking about. But if you can't tell already by the maps around you, by the communications we've had in the last few weeks, maybe you just showed up today for the first time. But we are beginning this morning a new series that will last for the next five weeks called Go! It's modeled after Jeb Bush's campaign. <laughs> we just thought the exclamation point at the end would be a nice touch. No, that's only a joke. Oh, <laughs> Go! A series on global missions and how that relates to us as a church and to you as a believer. And I could not be more excited about it. Um, I just want to tell you from the onset that some of you might uh, have come into this series thinking, hmm, I wasn't sure about this. Or even maybe just if you just heard it this morning, a series about missions, you know. And all of a sudden, you think that this is going to be some huge emotional ploy to sign you up for a radical version of fill in the blank, right? And so immediately your reaction could be, I just know, I know that in the past, in my life, with places that I've been, sometimes when I've heard messages on missions or been a part of a church that's really focused on missions, and I've been in a place where I'm just like, dude, that is, like, that is not for me, right? And immediately you start kind of backing away from it simply because you think that the end result of you actually being willing to kind of track with it is, is for you to do radical fill in the blank that you think missions is or, the, or, or our goal for you in missions is. And I just want to disarm you a little bit this morning and just tell you, I don't have like, I don't have like an agenda for you in this series. I have prayers and I have hopes but I don't know like where this series is going to take you as an individual, okay? I am not trying, we are not trying as a church to sign everybody up to just move overseas, okay? Or to sell your house like tomorrow or to give us everything that you have or to or like whatever that radical version of missions that you think that you, you this is not for you. Like that's not the agenda necessarily that I that we have for you, okay? So 
In fact, I don't believe that everybody in our church should just move overseas. I believe some should, and some are moving that direction. We have more than 20 in our church that are moving that direction. But listen, that's not for everybody, okay? And that's not what I'm after. So I don't want you to just immediately go, and, and disengage your mind or your heart or your willingness to actually move with God and us through the word in this series just because you don't feel like that radical thing is what you're called to. I, all I'm asking for in this series is that you'll be willing to just learn more, that you'll be willing to grow more. I, I am not there yet as it relates to where I need to be in understanding this whole thing that we call mission. I'm just not fully there yet. I am growing as a man. And I'm asking, like, would you just be willing to grow more with understanding the scriptures, understanding God, understanding his heart, understanding the world, understanding, like, what role, like, is there any, like, just, are you willing to ask that question? Like, is there a role that maybe I could play or should play? Is there an area of my life that maybe I would be willing to change? Maybe it's not the big thing. Maybe it's a small thing. But are you willing? What do y'all think? That's, the, that's really where I you know, just want to ask you. Are you willing to just kind of go with it and to grow with it? And are you willing to just be uh, changed little by little in this? That's all we're after in this series, okay? So just from the onset, just wanted to, to make that clear. Um, a couple of housekeeping things that are kind of fun. Um, did anybody get a passport when they walked in this morning? If so, you got it? Awesome, right? This is actually not going to get you back into the country. So I just, just need to go ahead and make this blanket legal statement. We do not take responsibility. If you leave the country and try to get back in with us, it does not work, okay? So don't try. But it is cool. It's inspired this year by the Serbian passports. You can look through your passport if you've got one. Do you mind if I borrow yours? Sorry, I forgot to bring one up here. Thank you, Paul. You're awesome. Paul's about to have a baby this week, and it's going to be fun. Um, that's easy for me to say, right? <laughs> Yeah. Um, It's divided into three sections, pray, give, and go. And I really do hope that you see these passports as a practical tool for you, okay? What you'll see in the pray section is opportunities for you to get to know all of our missionaries and mission partners. And there's prayer points. You can read about them. You can read their story. You can find out how to pray for them. In the give section, you can learn more about what we as a church do together when we give together in our tithes and offerings that what happens when we give, you can see that in the give section and, and encouragement toward that. And then in the go section, you can find the opportunities for this upcoming year for short-term missions and also opportunity to get more involved in intermediate and long-term missions. The list of trips is there on page 29. You can see more about that in the lobby. Our mobilization area, by the way, is out there in the lobby. You can say that you're more interested for trips. You can also take a picture like I took earlier this week. Um, we would love for you to go out there and do this. Help. Thanks, guys. Thanks for laughing. I, this is a serious picture. Come on, guys. Um, you can go and take a picture like this. We actually really encourage you to use the photo booth. These are like Velcro, so you can like take on and off like where you're giving for this or you're praying for this or you're going to this or you're moving, whatever. And re- we really would love for you to go and use the mobilization area um, in, in this series because it's going to be really helpful for you. And then finally, in the very back of your passports, you will see starting on page 40, I think it's 7, and then 48, there's a place for you to take notes starting this morning. Aren't you excited? So in the next five weeks, the back of the passport becomes your kind of sermon series guide that you can use for notes starting this morning. 
and also take with you to small groups. And I do want to encourage you. Thank you, Paul. I do want to encourage you that um, we are, small groups are a wonderful place to find community, find friends, to go deeper in God's word, to have people that, are, that know you and are praying for you. Please encourage you to get involved in a small group. And in these next weeks, uh, we, our focus in small groups will relate to our focus here on, on Sunday. Uh, final thing I want to just encourage you for is, did anybody see the gallery when you walked in the lobby this morning? It will be up for the next five weeks. If you didn't get a chance to, we, we hope that you don't just glance at it from a distance and go, that's cool, but that you take time sometime between now and the next five weeks to actually move through the gallery. Read all the little stories that are there. We have spent hours and hours preparing this. The photos are from people that we know, photos of people that we have taken, photos from our trips. This is going to be, it really is an important part of the journey of this series and this season for us as a church and global mission. So find a time to do that. If you have kids, maybe it's you come up here during the middle of the week and do it while your kids are at daycare. Or you, or you do it before you go pick them up after the service. But we really do want you to find a meaningful time for you to explore that um, in these next weeks as well. Cool? Any remaining questions? I'm not done. I'm just about to get started. <laughs> but... <laughs> Okay, let me pray as we uh, begin this morning's journey uh, toward God's missional heart. God, we thank you. Lord, we praise you. Let all the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. May the nations sing and shout for joy for you, our great God. Lord, we thank you for your greatness today. Thank you for your love today. Every person in this room right now at this moment, you know them through and through. There is nothing hidden from your sight. And you love them with all of your heart. You love them so much that you gave yourself for them. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever might believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, the hope of our life is not that we could ever have it together, be good enough, try hard enough, work hard enough. Lord, fix ourselves enough. But our hope is that you're a God who loves sinners. And you worked on behalf of broken, messed up people to bring them back to you. You did it all, start to finish in Jesus, your son, his life, death, and resurrection given freely for us. By grace, we have been saved, and it is a gift. So Lord, I pray today that the posture of our hearts and the hope of our lives would be in receiving this wonderful gift of your presence and relationship with you. Help us draw near to you, for you say, God, in your word, that when we draw near to you, that you draw near to us. You are close to us, and we thank you for your wonderful love and grace and kindness. We thank you for your greatness, and we want our lives to worship you. God, we pray that this series would help us, that we would be willing to learn and to grow and to move in ways that you call us to. We pray that it would impact the world for Jesus, and we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, did you know... Starting out today, I'll just say this. Did you know that context is everything? <laughs> context is kind of important, right? Anybody with me? Who has ever walked up in the middle of a conversation thinking you know what the conversation's about, and you walk up interjecting, and all of a sudden you realize, uh-oh, <laughs> that is not at all what they were talking about. I won't name any names, but Eric Hazlett, I'm not going to tell the story, so don't turn red yet. Last week at a baby shower for some couple, actually it was their baby shower, um, we got a great laugh out of him walking up in the middle of a conversation that he didn't know nothing about. And it was kind of awkward. Um, some of you guys know this. Context is really important. 
uh, in the same, because we're talking about the world in this series, I got a few photos to show you, just to show you how important context is. See, now, without me telling you what this is, it's pretty funny, right? <laughs> or check out the next one. <laughs> Why is Netanyahu making a shadow mustache on Raquel's face? He's actually not, but it sure looks like it there. And then, of course, yeah, Charles, thank you very much. Um, without the stories behind these images, they could be a little bit confusing and actually kind of funny. But if you understand the context, they make a lot more sense. Context is super important. And as we approach this series on global missions, one of the things that is really a burden on my heart is to really understand context. And the Bible is super important for understanding context. Many people approach the Bible like this. Google verses about taking tests. (laughs) Promises of God that I will survive until tomorrow. (laughs) Right? Um... They, they look up in the concordance themes about maybe about um, marriage or about money. And they approach it very much looking for something particular. And that's not a bad thing. Anytime you go to the Word of God is a great thing. But one of the burdens I have as a, as a pastor who loves the Bible and is called to teach the Bible faithfully and effectively to us, our church, is that we make sure that we're not taking things out of their appropriate context as we approach the Bible. It's important to understand things in light of the bigger picture, always, but especially as we approach the Word of God. And there is a bigger picture to the Bible. And it really is going to lay the foundation for these next weeks that we have together in missions just because it's, it's, it's about something much bigger. You know, the Bible is 66 books written by 44 different people. <laughs> And it spans thousands of years. But yet in the Bible, there is a context. There is a singular story from start to finish. It's not just this hodgepodge group. And it's okay if you've had that understanding of it. And a lot of people just simply need to be taught how to understand the Bible. Because if you read it the way it's grouped and organized, sometimes it does feel like so random. And what's it all about? But I am telling you today as one who has given my life to study this word of God, that it is, there is a bigger story going on in the Bible. Every verse that you ever go to is in the context of not just a larger book, but the book, the big book itself. And God has worked in history through the writings of the scriptures to help us see a singular story that starts at the beginning and will move all the way through the end forever and forever and forever. Understanding the context is important. So the question is, what is the bigger context? What is the bigger context? Now, let me tell you this. The question will come, and here we are in a mission series, is it missions? Is the bigger context missions? (laughs) Some of you are going to answer that, right? And honestly, um, I just want to tell you, my life has, has been radically changed. God called me to ministry. I, for some of you who know my story, I wasn't always, I didn't have a trajectory of being a pastor. In fact, I thought that was the furthest thing I wanted to be. I grew up in church, and I moved kind of far away from it for a large season of my life because I really didn't want anything to do with it. 
And if we're not for God and his work in my life and his grace toward me, this just tells you how God can really change you. You think, you think your life could go one way and God can really change it to go another way. But I'm a product of God really changing my life in the direction of where I am today. And a lot of it, that change came from a single night when a person who I know and love and still admire to this day, David Platt, came and preached a sermon at a ministry event that I happened to be at one night when I was at college at the University of Georgia. And he was speaking about this exact same thing. And I approached it thinking, I knew the Bible. I'd heard it. I'd raised with it, whatever. I know the Bible stories. But as he began to speak, I, I, I realized, like, I just I had not gotten it. I had not really gotten this bigger picture. And I had made missions out to be something that really it wasn't. Well, you know, missions. So that the question is, is the bigger context of Scripture just about missions? And we could easily think that. Why? Because Jesus, Matthew chapter 28, many of you guys know this, the Great Commission, verse 18 to 20. He, he puts this huge emphasis, and what does he say? Go, right? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. Go. In chapter 9, in one of the Gospels, he says, Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into the harvest, right? We could sense the urgency of what Jesus is commanding us to do, that we are to be a part of this going. In fact, we get the word missions from a Latin word that literally means to send out. Going and sending flip sides of the same coin. But this this pulse that we need to be living like missionally, outwardly, going, sending, doing the work that God has called us to do. And yes, that is true. That is true. You can read the Bible as a book about missions. You could tell the story as a missional narrative. It's absolutely true. But the question I have today is, is that it? Is there more to it than just the story about missions? I do hope this morning that you take notes and engage with this. There is more to it. There is more to it. Is there a bigger picture of missions? <laughs> Something that's transcendent just to the missional narrative and the missional heart and the missional work of the church? There is. And I'll tell you what the bigger picture is. It's one of worship. Ultimately, the Bible is a narrative about worship. <laughs> Psalm chapter 67 that we just read, and I do hope that you'll write that down or turn to it now in your scriptures. Psalm chapter 67. The psalmist says, now we love this verse because it's kind of a prayer for God's blessing. And I remember I used to pray this prayer. I'd heard it at like baby dedications. Who's ever heard that the start of this psalm? May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Anybody ever heard that? Yeah, it's a, it's a common blessing or benediction or prayer. But one of the things that struck me as I began to study the Bible was I came across this verse once and I was like, huh, I always stop with that verse mid-sentence. I just knew that part. May God, God be gracious to me and bless me and make your face to shine upon me. That was it. <laughs> and I didn't know the second part of the sentence. Anybody with me? There's more to the sentence. 
There's a purpose to that prayer. What's the purpose, does it say? May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face to shine upon us that what? His way may be known on all of the earth. His saving power among who? All the nations. And then he throws up his hands like we were a second ago saying, how great is our God? Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. How great is our God. Sing with me. Ooh. Don't sing with me. That. But that's, that's, I mean, in modern language, that's what he would say. How great is our God. All the nations, all peoples of the world, sing with me how great is our God. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations sing and shout for joy. For he judges the peoples with equity. He guides the nations upon the earth. Oh, sing with me how great. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let them praise you, oh God. I mean, what do you hear here in this psalm? What is this psalm about? What's the heartbeat of it? May all of the earth, may people in every corner of the globe, from the rice fields of Asia to the cities of South America to the plains of Central USA to the villages of Europe to the slums of Africa, let the people in every corner of this world know you, God, and how wonderful you are in all of your ways. Oh, God, may I be used to bring worship and honor and glory to you, God, for you are the best. God, be gracious to me and bless me. God, would you make your face to shine upon me, for I want to be a part of something great. And the greatest thing I could be a part of is letting your greatness shine through me. God, you're great. You see another psalm as well, not just 67. I pulled out some other seven psalms. 97, Psalm 97, verse 1. Psalm 117, verse 1. You can see the same thing. The Lord reigns, Psalm 97, verse 1 says. The Lord reigns. Let the many coastlands be glad. Let the beaches of Santa Monica rejoice. Let the wonderful white sand of the Gulf and Key West be happy. Let the gray sands of Hilton Head sing out in the rocky coast of Maine. Let it proclaim God, for he is the best. Every coastland, in other words, from sea to shining sea, not just in America, but across this great land, this great earth. Let God be praised. Psalm 117, verse 1, similar. Praise the Lord, all nations. Germany, and Thailand, Ivory Coast, and South Africa, Peru, and Brazil, and Ecuador, Guatemala, Canada, France. Where are you? Slovenia, Slovakia, the Czech Republic, Russia, and China. Let all of the nations praise God. Lift up your voice and whatever tongue that you speak and sing out, extol him. Sing out, for you've got a great God. You hear the heart, the pulsating heart? And, and, and it's not just these. Listen, I could go all day long, but some of you have told me that you didn't want me to do that. Um, 
Okay, but I could go all day long tracing through these types of scriptures. The Bible is ultimately a book, okay, answering this question. What is the bigger picture of the Bible? What are you going to say? All right, I just spent all that time going through it. (laughs) What are you going to say? Worship. The Bible is ultimately a book about worship. Bringing people to worship God, to know him, to enjoy him, to treasure him, to praise him, to follow him, to live surrendered to him. It is a book about us understanding we were created. And God made me and my mom. He was making me in such a way that I would always live in relationship with him. He created me for this, that I might live as a worshiper of him. He created all peoples for this, that we might live as a worshiper of him. For there's nothing greater that we could know. There's nothing greater that we could enjoy. There's nothing greater that we could live for. There's no purpose higher that would fill us. There's no hope greater that would satisfy and be a security for our hearts and lives. There is nothing greater than God. We are made to live in worship of our God. We are created to be worshipers. That's the Bible. It's a story start to finish about worship. Now, we go back to missions. You're going, gosh, you... You said this is a mission series. It's suddenly becoming a worship series. Well, here it is. It's not just the worship of God. It's the global worship of God. Okay? So the bigger picture is not just the worship of God. You got the, the word global here is important. The global worship of God. Clear. Start to finish. Global worship of God. God being praised among all people. So you go back to the question of missions then. So what we know then, okay, is that missions now is about what? Worship. Okay? So missions is about worship. Missions, that work of sending out, is about this thing. Working, laboring, going, sending, for the purpose of gathering people from every corner of the globe to know, enjoy, love, follow, worship God. Missions is about the pursuit of worship from every tribe, tongue, and people. And I think that's here, the goal of missions, the global worship of Jesus. You want to know the the goal of missions? It's the global worship of Jesus by his redeemed people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's what missions is about. The global worship of Jesus from every tribe, tongue, and nation. I do hope, like I said, you're engaging and writing down in the transcript. Now, a couple of statements that help us understand this and the difference. Missions is not ultimate. Worship is. I was teaching our Global Missions Fellowship two weeks ago, and one of the statements I made was, you could get real excited. We learned from the Great Commission. You could get real excited about just the work of going. It's real trendy right now. Let's just be honest with ourselves. It's real trendy to go on mission trips. It's real trendy to, like, give to companies that support philanthropic causes. 
it's real popular, and it's, it's, not, it's not just Trinity, it's good. It's good to go on mission trips, it's good to support, but track with me for a second. It's real trendy to like wear that badge inside Christian communities and even among non-Christian people. But ultimately, you've got to realize that you could love the work of missions without loving the worship of God. And you've got to be careful. Missions is not just about the work of missions in and of itself. It is not ultimate. Worship is ultimate. The driving heart of us as Christian people, the reason that we do missions, is not for the sake of missions. It's for the sake of God and people knowing him and loving him and worshiping him. Whenever we build a house for them and give it to a poor family in Guatemala. It's that they might know that our God is a gracious and good God and that they might be summoned to live in right relationship with him. Every time that we help treat someone's eyes in Ivory Coast, it's not just for the sake of their eyes, though we love helping their eyes, but ultimately it's that they might gain a vision, not just with their physical eyes, but with their spiritual eyes of the greatness of our awesome God and live forever with a sight fixed on Jesus, their savior. Missions is not ultimate. Worship is. Missions will one day end. But worship will not. (laughs) Think about this. Missions will be finished one day. Did you know that? Missions will not go on forever. The work of missions, whether it's through acts with your hands or through speaking with your mouth, the work of bringing, cultivating worshipers of God from every corner of the globe. That will one day be finished. But worship, worship will never, ever, 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 ever end. We will forever be worshiping. That's why John Piper in his book, which I do recommend, Let the Nations Be Glad. Anybody ever read it? Anybody? Anybody? Let the Nations Be Glad. Okay. Some people get to borrow. You need to come to my office and just borrow the book sometime, okay? Or I'll buy it for you. Oh, I can't buy everybody's, but can't make that promise. I'll, I'll, I'll lend it out one at a time. <laughs> Good luck. But it's a wonderful book, especially for those who really are stirred in the direction of missions, in any direction, seriously. He says in the book, he says, missions exist because worship doesn't. He's trying to help us frame the context of missions. Worship is ultimate, missions is not. So missions exist because worship doesn't. If worship existed in every person in the world, from every corner of the globe, if every person knew the Lord and loved him, followed him, then the work of missions would not be needed, right? If everything was as God originally intended it to be, the work of missions would not be needed. But because it's not that way, the work of missions is needed. We can understand this. For instance, there's several here that work at St. Jude. If, if cancer, childhood cancer, was not in the world today, if somehow we came up with a cure, we found a way to prevent it, and it wasn't in the world today, would St. Jude need to keep on existing? No. I mean, wouldn't that be a great day? <laughs> Can we imagine the day when children no longer get sick with forms of cancer? What a great day. Some of you are scared because I just put you out of a job. <laughs> and you're like, no one answered this possible. But I know your hearts, and I know that's all what we're working for over at St. Jude and why we love that organization so much. But St. Jude is not ultimate. The end of cancer is, right? 
The United Nations wouldn't need to be around if the world was at peace. United Nations is not ultimate. World peace is. That's what we're working for. Wouldn't it be great if we didn't need an organization to go in and keep peace with everybody, but rather we just all lived at peace with one another? Hello. Car shops wouldn't be needed if they made a perfect, unbreakable car. Praise the Lord. I wish that would happen, right? (laughs) Come on. We understand the differences of what is ultimate and what is not. And here's what I'm saying is that the missionary enterprise of the church is not an ultimate enterprise. The worship enterprise is. So we, we engage in missions with all of our heart. We invest in it. We're working toward it wholeheartedly. But ultimately, what we're aiming at is not just missions for the sake of missions. We're aiming for the global worship of Jesus from every tribe, nation, race, and tongue. Amen? So, just a little context today. I want to set the picture. Missions is needed, though. In fact, it's vital. The foundation, the aim of it is worship, but missions is needed. And you can read the Bible's narrative as a missions narrative. You can. In fact, it is a missions narrative. And I want to tell you this morning, which is why the theme of this message is God's missional heart. You see that in your passports down at the bottom, week one, God's missional heart. The reason I named it that, we named it that, is because, in fact, God, in his very character and heart, is a missional God. So this conversation is needed about missions, but its aim, of course, is worship. Now, you might say, how is God a missional God? In the next 10 minutes, I'm about to walk through a narrative for you that I think is going to be incredibly helpful. You are not going to be able to write down every single verse, but you can write down the references. This week in your small groups, you're going to go through it a little bit more. But how do we know, you might say, that God is a missional God? Remember what I just said, the aim, cultivating a community of worshipers of him from all over the globe. You might ask me, I hope that you would, because you're learners and growers, seekers of truth. How do we know this? I want to tell you there's no more clear narrative that the Bible can paint than this narrative of God being on mission to cultivate worshipers from across the world. I want to walk through the narrative quickly. Hold on. But I pray that by the end, that your mouths are open, that your hearts are just exalting God and seeing clearly what he really is about in this world. It starts in Genesis chapter one. We see that at the very beginning, God created man and created him for a specific purpose. It says that God made man in his own image. And then he says to them, so God is making men to reflect him. They're image bearers. They are to shine his light. Everything that God is, man is to be. All of his goodness and his perfection and the wonders of his ways. Man was to reflect that in his image. And then he says to man here in Genesis 1.28, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. In other words, God's intention with mankind was that they would bear his image. In other words, constantly remind one another that he is to be worshipped, that he is to be praised. He created all things good and perfect for that purpose. And his intention was go and fill the earth. 
filling the earth, like I said, with a community of worshipers. Things go bad, though. Genesis chapter 3 doesn't take very long for man to say, you know what? I'm not going to worship you, God. I'm not going to put you first. I'm going to do what I want to do. And in fact, that's the same problem that plagues us to this day. Putting God out of his proper place and becoming not worshipers of him, but worshipers of self and the things of this world. All of a sudden, a broken relationship with God. A distorted image of him in the world. And a separation of relationship between God and man. It breaks the heart of God. It breaks his heart so much to the point that he decides that he would flood the earth and start over with the few that actually did love him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's what we see with Noah and his family. And very interestingly, after the flood, after God begins again, he looks at Noah right after the flood. And what does he say to Noah in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1? God looks at Noah and he says, Okay, be fruitful and multiply and what? Fill the earth. What do you think he's after? He's after people who reflect him and who worship him, who follow him, who love and treasure him supremely. The community of worshipers and that those worshipers would fill the earth. However, it's just a few generations later. It doesn't take but two chapters in Genesis to get to the point that once again, man is completely rejecting God. They've huddled together, Noah's descendants have, and they've come to a place called Babel and built a huge tower. And they said, you know what? We're not going to worship God. We're going to worship what we want to. They built a tower after their own likeness. They set purposes according to their own wicked hearts, and they decide to reject God and go their own way. Once again, God is heartbroken, but because of his promise not to flood the earth and start again, he works with men, and suddenly we see in chapter 11 that he decides, both in his compassion and in his creativity, to frustrate these wicked plans of man and to create languages that would separate them and to disperse them across the earth. We see it in Genesis 11, 7 and 8. He says, let's go down and confuse their language so they wouldn't understand one another. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all of the earth, and they left off the building of the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. God moving people around the world according to his purpose, and you wonder, what is he up to with this? He spared them in his compassion. He moved them around and separated them in his creativity. But what is he up to? It doesn't take but a chapter. Genesis chapter 12 for you to realize it. All of a sudden we see God calling a moon worshiper to himself by his grace. God taking the initiative with his missional heart, moving to a man named Abram. Calling him out. And God beginning this work of redemption by his grace. And the promises that were to be believed by faith in Genesis 12, 1 to 3, we see God saying to Abram, go from your country and from your kindred, your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you, here again, so that you will do what? Be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, what does God say? All the families of the earth shall be blessed. God begins this work of redemption 
making promise to Abraham, calling him to himself and saying, Abram, I'm going to build of you a great nation and I'm going to use this nation to restore what I wanted from the beginning, the global worship of my people. Through you, I will showcase my greatness and through you, I will call people back to myself. Through you, Abram, I will bless everyone in the world. Genesis 17, we realize that this absolutely comes true for Abram's name is changed to Abraham. And the reason it's changed is he says, Abraham, I have called you this for I have made you a father of a multitude of nations. What does he mean? Abram is a guy with a kid, like without a kid yet. He's been promised a family. This family will become great. What do you mean a multitude of nations? Abram ultimately His faith will showcase the faith that you and I now possess, faith in the redeeming Savior. And through that faith, in fact, all nations will be blessed. Through Abram, again, God's heart here, a missional heart, God saying to Abraham, when it was just him and his wife, through you, I want to build a community of worshipers through a multitude of nations. We see that this promise is not just repeated to Abraham's son, though it is here. To Isaac, he says, I will multiply your offspring, the stars of the heaven, give you to your offspring these lands. To your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. That's Genesis 26, 4. God repeats the promise to Isaac. Then Isaac has two kids, Esau and Jacob. And guess what? He turns around and repeats it to Jacob. Genesis chapter 28, verse 14 He says, once again, your offspring will be like the dust of the earth. You will spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Again, God's heart, he's carrying it through. Here now we have the one who we now refer to as Israel, this offspring of Abram, who the promise continues to find fulfillment in. And through Israel, not just the man, but his family, not just the family, the family that becomes a nation. Over the next 2,000 years of Old Testament history, we see God's purpose unfold. God wanting Israel, this group of people, to be at work in the world, blessing, cultivating a community of worshipers for himself. Over those 2,000 years, we see God multiply Israel. We see God deliver Israel, showcasing his greatness. And Exodus says the reason he did it was that others would see the glory of his name. Constantly working to deliver them, to fight for her enemies. Giving her special laws and commands to show his way in the world. Working to lead her through the wilderness to that place of the promised land positioning Israel in the middle. Why do you think everybody today wants all that that Israel's land? Why do you think that? Because it's a treasure. It's positioned strategically in the middle of all nations. And God gave that to Israel. Why? That Israel might do what he called Israel to do, to showcase forth his glory and grace, to ultimately be a lighthouse to the world purposed to make God's name great. Now, the way that history unfolds, we know that it doesn't always happen that way. There are times of great glory under David and Solomon. I mean, there's more prosperity and peace than Israel had ever known. But then shortly after, if you get past 
Kings 4 and read all the way kind of through the end of the Old Testament, it, it becomes a disaster. And Israel doesn't fulfill that intention. Just like you and me, gone astray. Just like Adam and Eve from the very beginning, hear God's people once again going astray. Not loving him supremely, not following him surrenderedly, not shining his light and living missionally. And God allows them to really reap what they sowed and they got eventually taken into captivity, dispersed out of that promised land that he had given them. It's a tragic story in many ways, but in the midst of it, you see the minor prophets and the major prophets. If you know your Bible, those guys whose names look real funny and you can't really read them, like Habakkuk and Ezekiel, and Hezekiah, you know, all of these things that these prophets who come up and they begin speaking God's word even to a disobedient people. And one of the things that we hear over and over and over again is this heart that God is not finished with his purpose. His heart has not changed. His purpose has not changed. And he intends to continue to cultivate a community of global worshipers. In Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, we see this. He says, is it too light a thing that you should be my servant? to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. In other words, that somehow the promise never rested on man. It always rested on God. Somehow God would continue to pursue his heart and his purpose to cultivate a community of global worshipers and he would do it through Israel. And we see that there would be one coming who would somehow fulfill this purpose and make things right. Then the announcement from the angel there at the night of Christ's birth. I bring good tidings of great joy for you. News of salvation for all peoples. The day that this promise would be fulfilled suddenly came. John 3.16, we see in Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. For God so loved the what? The world. All peoples that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever might believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, friends, in Jesus, we see a Messiah who's come to redeem people from all nations. He walked into the synagogue proclaiming that he had been given this task to bring about worship of all peoples. He said, I must preach the good news in Luke chapter 4, verse 42 and 43. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other places as well. I have been sent for this very purpose. In other words, it's not just for the Jewish people. It's for everyone. He spent his life interacting with Romans and Samaritans, with Canaanites with Jewish. It didn't matter if you were rich or poor, educated or uneducated, Jesus made himself available for all people in his intention, even, you know, with a Samaritan woman, despised by the Jewish people. They had missed it, but Jesus didn't miss it. God had come himself in his great love to fix what was broken and to fulfill this purpose of his heart for all people. I am the wellspring of life. Come to me and live. His whole ministry was spent proclaiming that through him, 
He would be the way, truth, and the life. Anyone that believes in him would never die. I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. I've come that you might have relationship with God. Again, cultivating a community of worshipers. On his way to the cross, Matthew chapter 20. Oh, that's a good one too. Mark chapter 11. You just passed that one and I missed it. 15 to 17. Remember the day he walked to the, to, to the temple and he got angry? You remember that? What made him angry? What made him angry, he said, was this. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer? For who? All the nations. Do you not understand God's purpose from the beginning that this would be about bringing all people to live in prayerful, worshipful relationship with God. Then we see on his way to the cross, Matthew chapter 24, on his way to the cross, he says this. He says, and this gospel that I've been preaching to you will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to who? Usually when I ask you questions now, you can just say nations or world or the global community, okay? Testimony to who? All the nations. And then he ties the very end of times to this promise and prophecy, and he says, the end will not come until this gospel that I have come to fulfill is proclaimed to every corner of the world. You will not have a day that you will see me again until people from every spoken language of the world, every people group on earth has a witness of my saving power and grace. He went to the cross. He lived the perfect life. He died the perfect death. He rose again in the perfect resurrection to fulfill this promise that all might come to him would believe. He says to his disciples in Matthew chapter 28, okay, guys, it's finished. I said on the cross, you saw with my own lips, I said, it is finished. The work is finished. All you must do is receive it and get this word out to everybody can. Go, therefore. Go, therefore. All authority has been given unto me. Go, therefore. And make disciples of who? You're getting better. All nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. Right before his resurrection, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says to his disciples standing there, but you will be my witnesses. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. Where? To Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And to where? The ends of the earth. You hear his heart? You hear his purpose? Then you go to the next chapter, Acts chapter 2, and what do you have? The Holy Spirit falls. And what happens when the Holy Spirit falls? People begin speaking in tongues. All of a sudden, all of those tongues that he had created and dispersed in Genesis chapter 11 to frustrate the man's of people, now he's bringing them back together because his purpose is being accomplished. His promise is being fulfilled through Christ now. All tongues are coming back. A community is forming, a global community, a community that is proclaiming the excellencies of God. God works through the early church. He calls men like Paul to be a minister to the Gentiles. He commissions them. Romans chapter 1, verse 5, he says, 
Paul's saying, I've received grace and apostleship. In other words, God has appointed me for this. To what? Bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among what? All the nations. In Romans chapter 16, he also says, It has now been disclosed this gospel through prophetic writings and has been made known to who? All nations. God is presently at work. Not just through the early church, but now he's at work through us who've been called to the same thing. Proclaiming his gospel to all nations. Cultivating a global community of people who know, love, treasure, follow, worship the Lord. And do you know that the very last book of the Bible paints a picture of heaven? You want to know what heaven's going to be like? You ever think about the future? Remember when I said missions is not ultimate, worship is? You want to know the ultimate thing? Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 to 10, paints a picture for us of the future, the thing that is guaranteed to happen. He says, around the throne, I saw a group of people, a global community who sang a new song, saying, worthy are you, Lord Jesus, to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then in Revelation chapter 7, 9, and 10, he says this, After I looked, behold, a great multitude that no one could even number from every nation, from all tribes and all peoples and all language standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God's heart, God's purpose fulfilled Ultimately, one day, this is a promise that the church builds itself on and works with confidence from that God will succeed in his plan. There will be people from every tribe and tongue, from the rice fields of China to the cities of South America, from the plains of USA to the villages of Europe. God will fulfill his promise that there will be a global community of worshipers saying, Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let them sing and shout for joy, for you are a great God. Salvation belongs to you and to our Lamb, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who is slain. For by his blood, he has ransomed us back to you. And you are the one that we were created for to start with. You are the one that we need. You're all that we want. God, it's all about you. Thank you, God, from every tribe and tongue. That is the story of the Bible, friends. It's a single story. One story, start to finish, and it's God's story. And it's a story about worship, worship of God that results in the glory of God from a global community of his redeemed. And it's the greatest story in all of the world. 
And missions is a vital part of it because missions is the work of the church to get out of where we are to make sure that everyone everywhere knows our great God. But don't miss the bigger story. The story of God. The worship of God. Through all peoples. Does this matter to you? Is your life like connected to this? Is this the pulsating heart deep within you? You can't have passion for missions if you don't have a passion for God. A passion for missions starts with a passion for God. And the worship of God. And not just the worship of God, but the worship of God among all people. Do you have a love for God? That's the starting point. Do you love him? Do you know that he loves you? Do you know that he's all you need? Do you know that he's moved heaven and earth, literally, to bring you back to himself? Do you know that his grace isn't enough? Do you Proclaim his greatness. Are you a worshiper of God? Never love the idea of missions or get involved in it for the things that God wants you to be involved in it for if you don't start here. A passion for missions starts with a passion for God and God's glory among all people. And I'm telling you, if you know God, then the immediate thing that happens, and I realize this in my life because for a long time I thought I knew God and I thought I was passionate for God and then I was hit in the face with this and I realized I don't really I don't really know if I am passionate. I don't really know if I love him. If you know him, the immediate thing that happens is you want other people to. If you know him, the immediate thing that happens is the things that are on his heart or the things that are on your heart and the things that are he's purposed or the things you want to get involved in. If you're passionate for God, you'll be passionate for missions. But it starts with a passion for God. And it starts with knowing his passion to cultivate a global community of people who love him too. Our God is a missional God. That should matter to you because you're a recipient of his work to bring you back to himself. And he asks you, love him, worship him, care, be invested. Come along with me to see that this worship goes beyond just you and reaches to the ends of the earth. I'm doing this work. Where are you? Love him. And love that he loves us. Love that he loves the world. May God be gracious to us and bless us. Make his face to shine upon us. His saving power may be known among all the nations. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. May the nations sing and shout your praise. Let me pray. God, we thank you for this time of worship today. We thank you for your wonderful word. We thank you, God, for your greatness and your glory. God, we thank you for your missional heart. 
Lord, you created every person in this room for a single purpose that we might know you, love you, and be worshipers of you. And God, we thank you for the life that you've given us, and we thank you for the second chance that you've given us in your son, Jesus, for our forgiveness and redemption and your grace that covers all of our sin and brings us back to you. We thank you for your work in cultivating a relationship with us. We thank you. Lord, we want to know your heart more. We want to know your ways more. And this morning, we've heard you from your word that from start to finish, you are at work in our world to cultivate a community of worshipers who know you and love you and praise you. Lord, I pray this morning that we would be passionate for you. But if there those here who have never really gotten in tune with this before, they would just say, God, thank you. God, help me to love you more. Help me to get this more. Help me to live in tune with the rhythm of this world and the rhythm of your heart. God, I'm willing to be a part of this. I'm willing to go with you, for you care about all people's knowing you. And you promised that it would be, Lord. I don't want to miss out today. Lord, would you do that by your spirit and grace? Would you just bring people to a place of willingness and passion for you and your peoples of the world? Thank you, Jesus.